0: Thanks so much. Hey, can we just give it up really quick for Justin Marshall? Yeah. That's you guys. You guys. Can you give it up for Justin Marshall? He put this whole thing together. He organizes this. He does everything for you guys. He loves you so much. I know it. Um, worship was good, right? I'm kind of hanging out in the afterglow of worship right now. I'm stoked to be up here and um, bringing this message to you guys because um, right around your age. So, how many of you here are under 20? Most of you, right? Most of you are under 20? 21? All right. So, right about that age is, um, I'm 30 now. Um, Right about that age is when I made a decision to really follow Jesus. Now, there's a lot of victories and a lot of defeats in between those times, but Right when I turned 18, just to give you a little bit of background on myself, and we'll pray here in a second. Um, But right when I turned 18, I decided to, I had like a crazy breakup like everyone does in their teens, and then um, decided to go to Bible college for three years at Hillsong um, in Sydney. You guys heard of Hillsong? No? Okay. Nobody in here has ever sang Oceans before? (laughs) No, it was all right. It was good. It was a really, really cool experience. I learned how like uh, megachurches work. I learned how... Um, Like the system works, I worked probably 100 hours a week. If I learned anything from Bible college, it probably wasn't the Bible. It was to do youth ministry and work really, 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 really hard. So um, if you can learn how to work hard, that's a good start. Uh, But from then on, um, it's been kind of a journey in discipleship. I met uh, my beautiful wife, Jessie, who's right there in the back. Um, David's not here tonight. David Leonidas um, got away with that middle name just barely Anyone seen 300? Yeah, Leonidas. I had, she's like, um, are you sure you want Leonidas for the middle name? I'm like, absolutely sure. <laughs> absolutely sure I want Leonidas. Because it means two things. It means son of a lion and lion at the same time. So I was like, it's good for both of us. Um, and um, that's the first fruit of our passion. And we have one more fruit of our passion coming along here in September. So they're going to be Irish twins 13 months apart. So Whatever it is that we're doing right now is working, um, and I'm really, really excited about our second son to come. I haven't told anybody the name, but do you guys want to know the name? Okay, so second, first son is David Leonidas. This one's going to be Ethan Everest. So what's cool about that, so we didn't really plan the name out at all, um, but uh, we're like, we just like the sound of Ethan, like it sounds like an attractive person. Um, it does. It does. Like, Ethan sounds like an attractive name. Like, that could be in, like, a rom-com or something. Um, right. Is there an Ethan in here right now? Okay, fantastic. All right, so, Ethan Fisher. All right, so, so um, the word that we got, and I know it's, like, you know, stereotypical Christian, but the word that we got when we moved from... Um, New York City in Manhattan to Southern California to plant churches was be strong and courageous, okay? So what we didn't realize is that after we had named Ethan Everest, his name actually means strong and courageous. So we didn't even try to do that, and his name sounds pretty cool as well. I like the alliteration. It's nice. rolls off the tongue. Um, but we're really, really excited about him and um, what God is bringing into our lives. But I think I have... Um, can we tighten this a little bit? Because I tend to lean on it. Um, well, while, maybe while I pray. If not, that's fine. I'll work it out. I'll just not touch it. I have a very heavy left arm. I work out. All right. No, this will be fine. Um, don't worry, man. Don't don't go through too much trouble. So, you um, you're stepping into a, a new phase of life, and I I know your last season was awesome. You guys all did nine months abroad, nine months uh, ministering to people, and The fun part about what you get to do now is you um, are going to face a great difficulty. And that great difficulty is that you will now be ministering to people that you actually know, right? So when you go on a missions trip, it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's definitely easier to lay hands on people and pray for people and get excited about Jesus with people that have no actual real relational consequence in your life. Am I right or wrong? Like random Southeast Southeast Asian lady, I will pray for you to step out of a wheelchair. Because you know why? If you tell your friends that it didn't work, I don't care. But if you go home and you're with your family and someone in your family has diabetes or someone in your family has a lost limb and you want to pray for that limb and it grows out, for it to grow out and it doesn't work, everybody you know knows that you're the weirdo that prays for legs that actually don't grow out. Am I right or am I wrong? So you're going to see those people every single day and be like, yeah, it's a little embarrassing. I promise you, the power of Jesus works on the mission field. It's weird how in America things change. But there's one major factor that I think we can all press into, and I'll be preaching to myself tonight, so this is going to be really cathartic for me, really exciting for me as well. But I want to talk to you tonight about the fear of man. Because this generation, more than any other generation, deals with the fear of man. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you. I thank you that you're here. We just trust you. We trust how good you are. We trust that the decisions you make are good for us. We trust you here in this moment, in this place, this little spot on eternity, where you've chosen a place that's all here for a reason. I pray that people would hear the words they need to hear tonight directly from you, that I would just be a vessel for you. God that anything that is not of you that I say, that you would remove, and God you just light me on fire right now to, to bring life and life more abundantly to every single person in this room. And I pray for every person listening right now that they would be blessed. They'd be blessed with difficulty. They'd be blessed with resources. They'd be blessed with trials, and they'd be blessed with great successes. God, I thank you for every single one of them. And the decisions they're making right now, I pray that you'd make their way straight and make their way clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive, right? All right, so... We were just singing a couple songs about a resurrected king is resurrecting us, right? I want to impart, if if you get anything from this message, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, all the communication seminars that I've listened to, all the Andy Stanley messages where he says communicate like this, he tells you not to do this, but I'm going to give it away right at the beginning. If you get anything from this message, I want you to feel and know and viscerally actually with your hands and your feet and your heart and your mind and your soul, know that Jesus is alive. Because the fact that he's alive changes everything. And when I said at the beginning, I'm going to talk to you about the fear of man. The only solution to the fear of man is the fear of God. You need to place your fear in the right place. Place your fear in the right place. And do you know what fear means in the Bible? It means fear. Right? So if you come face to face with a God that created the heavens and the earth and is an all-consuming fire, how do you feel? A little spooked, at least. Right? That's a scary place to be. How about somebody, how about a man that can die and raise himself up from the dead? That is a person that is terrifying in a way. Am I right or am I wrong? That's a scary person. That's not a person that I'm like, hey, how's it going, bro? Let's be pals. Let's be chums right off the bat. I'm going to kind of work into that kind of relationship with this person. If they can die and raise themselves from the grave three days later, and not only that, but predict it, that's a person I'm going to fear in all the right ways. So, I know you guys know this, but I'm going to talk about it really quickly. I'm going to skim over the top of it because my wife and I are really involved in the social media world. She manages a social media company that manages luxury and lifestyle brands. And I run like a fitness and wellness Instagram. And here's the thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's funny, right? (laughs) They are all weird, but (laughs) you get free stuff. Um, So every single one of us has a visual life. Every single person in this room in one way, shape, or form has a visual life either online or just walking through your daily life with people you actually know. And it's so weird to me that that life that is not real has started to shape our daily lives. Think about how often you look at your phone. You probably broke some of that habit while you were away, Try and keep it, right? But how will this look? You even filter your own life. You filter, literally filter your own life to show people the best possible version. And what all of this feeds into on a daily basis is the fear of man. What do they think? What are they thinking right now? What does she think? What does he think? What do they think about this relationship? Guys, don't let any woman on planet Earth tell you what it means to be a man. Not even your own mother. You know why? Because your mom's not a man. Ladies, don't let any man determine your value. That's where the fear of man begins with needing that intimacy, needing that closeness on both sides of the equation. Needing approval from women, needing approval from men to tell you what you are. Don't let anyone tell you that from the very beginning it will save you so much heartache. It'll save you a lot of problems. I can tell you over the last 12 years, I'm turning 31 next month and like it's I'm already like feeling old cuz I hear like people were born in the 2000s. I'm like nobody was born in the 2000s. That's crazy. That's wild. But let me give you an example. Why do you think Peter denied Jesus? Fear of man is the right answer not super tricky. I've been repeating myself a lot. Peter denies Jesus because he's afraid of people. He's afraid of dying. He's afraid of dying. There's a a real chance that he could die that very night, right? It's not like, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell this person about Jesus because I might, like, I'm not going to post that on Facebook because, you know, someone might think, like, I'm a Jesus freak, you know, like, that I'm crazy, that I really love him, and like, that I actually follow the principles that he lays out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, that would be weird. Peter has the actual option of choosing to die that night. And he denies Jesus because he's afraid of the opinions and the results of what people have to offer. So what's the solution? So Proverbs 1:7, if you want to write that down, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, so until you figure out the fear of God, no other wisdom, no other knowledge, no other thing is going to work at all. Until you figure out who God is, actually, no other knowledge is going to be helpful for you. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? So until God is in his rightful place in your life, nothing else is really going to work. No matter what you try, no matter how you try and add things up, no matter how many equations you try and do with your life, no matter how much you try and plan your future, if the fear of God is not first present in your life, you're going to be living at the will of other people. Do you know how much that sucks? Do you know what the, the the number one thing people say on their deathbed is? is I wish I would have lived the way I wanted to live and not the way other people told me to. The fear of man is the number one regret of people dying. What's someone else telling you to do right now? I want you to let it go. What is is the church or an organization or people or friendships telling you to do right now? Let it go first and learn the fear of God. And then seek wise counsel. And then seek wise counsel. So Peter denies Jesus because he's afraid of dying. So what do you think the solution to removing that fear actually is? It's dying. (laughs) It's dying. So there's this awesome scene in Band of Brothers. Have you guys seen the HBO special, Band of Brothers, the first one? Awesome, awesome, awesome series. I recommend it. I do recommend it. Lots of violence. If you get sick to your tummy, maybe watch something else. But it's really, really awesome. So there's this really amazing, wild, crazy soldier who like, runs into the line of fire everywhere he goes, ends up surviving all of World War II. It's just a wild, he's a wild person. He runs across German lines, and literally Germans are watching him run past them as he's connecting with another platoon that's across the city. They don't shoot him because they're so amazed that he's just running through enemy lines in the middle. They're like past machine guns, past artillery. They just pause and kind of just watch him walk past. And he's jumping over fences. He's going crazy. And there's this other person who's kind of like the antithesis of who he is in the same group. And he's a total coward. There's no other word for it. He's a total coward. He hides behind trenches. He can't even load his rifle. He's so shaky. He won't shoot back. He just hides and hides and runs from place to place and runs ammo to people and just hides in a corner when everyone's jumping over the line and trying to kill Germans. So this crazy, crazy guy walks up to the coward and says, do you know what your problem is? And he's sitting there shaking. And he goes, no. He's just terrified. He goes, your problem is that you think you're going to make it. The only way you can be an effective soldier is if you realize you're already dead. And that changes everything about his outlook. And he ends up coaching him through the process of standing up and emptying clips and clip after clip after clip so he can learn what it feels like to be already dead. You know what would have solved Peter's problem? If he was already dead. You know why Jesus was so bold in his action? You know why Jesus fashioned a whip and turned over tables and cursed fig trees and told the Pharisees where to put it? And gave them the seven woes over and over and over again and constantly inflamed the religious leaders? Basically saying, why don't you try and kill me? Because he was already dead. A lot of people think Jesus died on the cross. He was crucified before the foundation of the world. So when he starts his ministry, he's a dead man. I want to encourage you, start your ministry as a dead man. And fear of man will go out the window. You know why Jesus turned tables? Because it was the only place in the temple where Gentiles could get even close to God. And what were they doing? They were exchanging sacrifice at interest. So they're charging people extra to buy sacrifice to get to God. It infuriated Jesus that there was a barrier between him, his father, and the people. Jesus didn't just go in and start flipping over tables because people were exchanging money. There was a real reason and a real block, and Jesus knew that this would get him killed, and it eventually did. That was one of the final acts that they said, all right, we're just going to crucify this guy. We've had enough. But little did they know, he was already dead. The only way you can function as a soldier of Jesus Christ well in this world, in this world that is inundated with consumerism, that is inundated with the things that you can feel, taste, and touch on a constant basis, the only way you can break your addiction to pornography, the only way that you cannot need the opposite sex for your fulfillment, the only way is to realize that you're already dead. And once you realize you're already dead, you can function as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Oh, but Parker, that's so hard. How do I die? How do I do that? That seems weird. That seems cultish. Yes, the Romans thought so too. That's why they killed millions of Christians. Because it is weird. And it is a weird thought to say you need to just die and then you'll find eternal life. But let's see what Jesus says about it in Mark 8. 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, verse 1 of chapter 9, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. I don't know why they put a chapter break there. That's super weird because there's an and. But that last part is really, really important. How do you live this way? How do you live this way on a consistent basis? The only way you can live is to be dead already. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says about this in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Okay, this is like some tasty stuff, chapter 2 of Ephesians. So just just enjoy because Paul the Apostle is just kind of the man. Like I picture him as like a short, like salty little sailor dude that just like that revs people up. And he has such a great grasp of who God is. And he has such a great grasp of already being dead. He's a good example for us to follow. Chapter 2, verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. What were you? In what? Transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's something amazing about all these forerunners of the early church. The nine men who wrote the New Testament, they're really big on obedience which God prepared in advance for us to do. See how closely Paul the Apostle ties grace and good works together? Grace is not a ticket to your sin. Grace is empowerment to do God's will in your life. I want to make that really, really clear. I know the ultra-grace guys have their place, and I bless them. Because we've swung different ways in the church over the years. But the reality is grace is power. If you interact and come face to face with the fact that Jesus died on a cross for you, the God of heaven and earth died for you, it's going to change you. Fundamentally, it's going to change who you are as a person and your desires will change. It will not be one of these things where you're like, man, I need to work super, 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 super hard and just be better. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? You're trying to get the knowledge of good so you can be more like God and trying to learn more and more and more and accumulate knowledge so you can just be better. The tree of life is in Christ that transforms you so you're made. You're literally created in him, resurrected in him to do good works that he's prepared for you to do in advance. That's better news than sin management. That's so much better news than trying to quit doing something. Man, I love Jesus. I'm going to try and quit this tomorrow. Man, what a lame gospel. What a brutally poor gospel that we try to preach. No wonder people don't want to accept it in the United States of America. It doesn't bring transformational power. And what does Jesus offer us at the end? He says, at the end of that verse in Mark, he says, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of heaven come in power. And he was talking to the guys right in front of him, right? So who's he talking about, or what's he talking about? What does it mean when the kingdom comes in power? Does anyone have an answer? I'll give you a hint. Some of the apostles were there. It was not a lower room, but it was an upper room. (laughs) I actually went to the place where it likely happened near the temple. They found over 70 mikvahs, which are actual Jewish um, cleansing baths that people would use. And it's one of the only places in all of Jerusalem where they could have actually baptized as many people as they talk about in Acts. The crucial difference between a gospel without power and a gospel with power is the Holy Spirit. I don't really care what you believe about the Holy Spirit at this point. But if you're struggling to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, like the Apostle Paul says, you may be trying to do it on your own. You may be trying to do it out of your flesh. And you may be trying to do it apart from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know what eliminates the fear of man? Dying in Christ and raising with him. What's scary when the person that loves you the most can raise himself from the dead? What confrontation is too much? What conversation about the gospel is too far? What kind of obedience is too radical? I want to ask you today, because I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm not trying to tell you, oh, hey, youngsters, let's get up and go. Like, come on, guys, I've learned a lot in the last 12 years. Let me tell you something. I know nothing. And by the time you get to my age, you know what you're going to know? Absolutely nothing. But there is one thing that I know. That the Holy Spirit is the only reason that I can live the life worthy of the calling that I've received. The Holy Spirit and his empowerment, the resurrection power of Christ living inside me is the difference. I don't want you to get get confused about trying to do these things the right way or going to the right church or making the right people happy. Because they're not going to stand in front of the great white throne for you. There is only one person who will answer to Christ for your life, and that is you. One person. In our church in California, we have a bunch of high schoolers, like 15, 16, 17 years old. And they are so rad. Like, like these kids, they're not the future. These kids are, um, these kids are right now. They're immediate. As soon as we tell them something about Jesus, they're like, no way, that's true. I told one of the kids I disciple named Ryan the other day, I I just got back from Jerusalem, Israel, like a few weeks ago. I was on the Sea of Galilee, and I was like, yeah, it was crazy, man. Like, I was just joking around with him. Crazy, like I jumped out of the boat, and I walked on water. And he turns to me and goes, seriously, bro? And like no word of a lie, he had no, there was no hesitation in him believing that I had stepped out Onto the Sea of Galilee and walked on it. That's the kind of faith I want in your life. The faith of a child. You're not the future. You're not someday. You're not tomorrow. You're not the next day. You don't get a junior Holy Spirit because you're under a certain age. The power of God lives in you. The resurrection power of God lives in you. There's two problems with this, though. One... (laughs) One, is this going to transform you fundamentally, even your personality? Holy Spirit will transform your personality. Number two, you don't really have an excuse. Ain't no playing games anymore when the God of the universe lives inside you. And you can speak things into being and you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven and earth. And what you speak is loosed in heaven and what you speak is loosed on earth. Not too many excuses anymore. Oh, well, God, I was, I was 20. I was only 20. Oh, so which Holy Spirit did you get? Was, a diff- was it a different one than the dispensation that I gave in the book of Acts? Was it a different God that you were serving? Maybe. Maybe it was just yourself. I want to encourage you today. That the best way for you to function is to be crucified with Christ and no longer live. But the life you now live in the faith, you live alive in him. And trusting in him, in the God who loves you. Let's turn to John, 1 John 4, 17 through 21. I'll wrap up here in a second. 1 John, yeah. That's a sneaky one. It's really little towards the back. Can I encourage you guys to get a paper Bible as well? If you're not using a paper Bible at the moment, like, just use one. First of all, science shows that you're going to memorize it better, and you should have your own. Four, seventeen through 21. Alright. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Man, this hit me hard today. In this world, we are like Jesus. <laughs> Can you say that about your faith right now? Can you say that about your life right now? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. See, that's a really nice thing to say, but in context, it's, right before that, he says, we live in this world like Jesus. It's like, oh, I'm not afraid. Okay, if you're not afraid, be like Jesus. Turn some tables. Pray for people that shouldn't be healed. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Who here, like, still lived in the age where you got the belt when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah, You're probably doing things right. You probably arrive on time. The things yeah, that's right. You got really frustrated in Africa, probably. <laughs> now, 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 now. Please, just show up somewhere when the sun is directly above us. <laughs> <laughs> Africa's not my favorite. Um, but here's the thing. I did too. I got the belt when I was a kid, and I would, you know, mouth off to my dad and he'd snap it before he hit me too, so there was like the fear. That came with it, right? And my dad's an awesome guy, and I deserve the belt, to be honest, (laughs) because I was a little jerk sometimes. But there's a fear of punishment in some of us that doesn't need to exist. And I'm not talking about your relationship with God right now. I'm talking about being ostracized from the people that maybe you were once friends with before you were reborn in Christ. I'm talking about family, I'm talking maybe about boyfriends and girlfriends or people that you were interested in over the last nine months that wasn't a relationship. By the way, y'all touch each other a lot. I don't know. I don't know what it is about this crew. I'm sorry. But just standing up the back, I'm like, y'all are just touching, touching each other. I mean, I mean, I... I obviously touch my wife, two children, <laughs> but, like, I'm seeing people, like, there's a guy on the right and a girl on the left, I'm like, so, you know, which side of the base are you standing on, bruh? But honestly, you guys do touch each other a lot. Kind of weirds me out. Maybe I'm getting old, but... Just keep in mind that someone might receive that differently than you're offering it. But I love that person. Yep, they might love you too. All right, moving right along. We fear people. I can remember my greatest fear in high school. Because I moved from Spokane, Washington. Yeah, Spokane. Oh, wait. There's people from Spokane here. Really? Yeah. What high school did you go to? Now Spokane. I was at West Valley. It's a dump. Yep. A little trashy. I literally lived on the train tracks. Um. So. I moved from there, a high school of about 750 people at the time, to Los Alamitos High School in Orange County, California, where my graduating class of seniors was 800 people. So there are 4,000 kids or so in my high school from a school of 700. Every single lunchtime, I would have the most anxiety that you could possibly imagine because I had nowhere to go. I didn't have any friends. Like, I just got plopped down in this enormous school where, like, girls are doing, like, cocaine in the bathrooms, which is, like, brand new for me, (laughs) like, driving their BMWs to school. Like, it was wild, right? A total shift of perspective. And so so every single day, I, I literally had a knot in my stomach because I didn't have anywhere to be, right? And I think everybody's greatest fear is not having a table to sit at. And I use that not only in a real sense, but a metaphorical sense. Like, it's scary being rejected. It's scary not having a place. It's scary having people. It's even scary for us in our day and age to have people say something that's dismissive and rude in a Facebook comment. You feel it. Because... It's totally impersonal. It's weird that you feel it, and you shouldn't, and you want to be a grown-up, but at the same time, like, you want to kill somebody, right? It's so weird, but it's even worse, and we've all had experiences like this of rejection. So your fear of man is rooted in a fear of rejection, and you know what? Sometimes that rejection is real, but guess what? You don't have to be a victim. You may have been victimized, you may have been abused, you may have been broken, shattered by somebody, truly shattered by somebody, but you do not have to take on the identity of a victim. You can be victimized, but you don't have to be a victim. Do you know why? Because there was one victim. One victim on a cross for your sins, for all of mankind, for all time. And that victim didn't stay a victim, he is risen Jesus is alive and he can live that in you on a daily basis so what do we need from here on out you need the Holy Spirit what is the Holy Spirit who is the Holy Spirit don't really have time to explain that to you now but I will introduce you to him here in a second but when someone dies they leave a will right let me explain the Holy Spirit to you like this the Holy Spirit is the executor of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And that last will and testament is the Great Commission. So if you want to live a life full of resurrection power, you receive the Holy Spirit, but watch out, you, start, you might start making disciples. You might start teaching people how to live like Jesus, and the people that you thought loved you might reject you. Yep, they might reject you, but guess what? Perfect love casts out all fear. And you know what perfect love is? Perfect love is a love that never dies. It may be victimized, it may be crucified, but it will rise again. I'm out of time, right? I think so. Okay. So here's the hard part. Imagine a life... Or the exciting part, more like. It's hard, and it's fun, and it's crazy. People will think you're crazy. You guys realize you believe in a person that you've never met in person, like in the flesh, I mean, that died 2,000 years ago and rose from the grave. Isn't it weird to you that when you talk about it, people actually believe you? Like sometimes when I preach the gospel, I'm like, y'all believe this. (laughs) That's crazy. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> me too it's so weird <laughs> it's weird right but you're like that resonates with me i'm like you're not a christian you don't know the word resonate all right new agers in california help us oh, i feel that in my spirit yeah you do all right so what comes next with the power of the holy spirit all the fun stuff comes with the power of the holy spirit the gift of repentance daily yeah Repenting daily is awesome. Have you ever tried it? It's awesome. No, it really is awesome. I want to give you the gift of repentance on a daily basis. Stop hiding your sins. Honestly. Because that's not you. That's dead. Stop digging up the dead man. So repent and say, that's not me. Repentance is a turning around or it's a returning to the original nature you were supposed to have. Dying to self. What does that look like for you? Could be martyrdom all the way to actually dying, not just to yourself, but physically dying in your body. And on a daily basis, it means thinking of others first, really simple, just loving people. Carrying your cross on a daily basis, walking through the narrow door. What does the narrow door look like? There's a wide way and a narrow way. When everyone's going one direction, Read in the Bible, how often is the majority correct? Like, never, really. Except for like a couple times where they're like, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and then they kill him. (laughs) Technically, it wasn't the same people, but you get my drift. Our Jewish uh, guide made sure that we, we Christians knew that it wasn't the same people that invited him in that killed him. It was the rich, evil temple people, but I think it was kind of the same people. So imagine a life with a living Jesus. The thing about a real relationship is it requires something of you. A living person is going to require something of you. Not just like, hey, I'm going to take you to task. Like, my wife speaking to me requires a response, right? Like when she says something, I can't just be like, without actually hurting her feelings, right? So when Jesus speaks to you, it requires obedience, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. So living Jesus can walk you through all these things that dead one cannot. So let Jesus get off the cross in your life, your sins are forgiven, get past the cross and see the empty tomb where he was and live a life with a resurrected Jesus in you. All right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense for your daily life? It's easy to step into spiritual disciplines when Jesus is alive. It's easy to make the right choices in relationships when Jesus is alive. It's easy. It's easy because you're a new person. If you're finding it hard, we're going to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do I have one second? If I don't, it's totally fine. I don't want to make you the bad guy. I hate it when speakers do this. right. I really do. Can you guys stand up for a second? Are we going to worship after anyways? You're not. Oh, you're next. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. We're just going to do this straight up and raw then, all right, because I don't want to get all the clamor happening. All right. There's a really great book I want you to pick up. Okay. It's like two bucks, three bucks. By A.W. Tozer, called How to Receive the Holy Spirit. I read it in 45 minutes, all right? I read it in my quiet time, all right? I don't necessarily encourage devotionals because y'all just aren't reading your Bibles. Um, Let's be honest. But I encourage you to just pick up your Bible instead. But I encourage you to read that book. So this is what we're going to do. Really straightforward. Who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Fantastic. All right. If anyone that has the Holy Spirit, keep them up. You know what you need to do to receive the Holy Spirit that I figured out from all these books and stuff? One ask and just yield. It's a process of yielding. Nope. Not my will, yours. Not my will, yours. Not my will, yours. And It's going to change you. It's going to affect your life. All right. This is what we're going to do. And if anyone wants to put hands on these guys, you can right now. You don't necessarily need that. You don't need another person to receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. But if leaders in the room want to put hands on people, you're more than welcome. If you have words for people, that's great. And if you have a prayer language right now and you feel, not if you feel comfortable, just pray in tongues. All right, so God, we thank you right now for your Holy Spirit. We thank you. Holy Spirit, for who you are, forgive us right now. Forgive us right now, first of all, for ignoring you as a person. We repent of ignoring you as a person. We repent of treating you like a wind that blows left and right that we can't really grab or, or know or, or, or really bring into our lives. We repent of that right now. So Holy Spirit, I thank you right now that you are filling every single person in this room. I thank you that you're filling these people with your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this gift right now. Why don't you just begin to praise him? Why don't you just begin to open your mouth and say whatever comes out? It doesn't have to be tongues. You can just begin to praise Jesus for who he is. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're coming down on this place right now in Jesus' name. That you are filling every single person in this room with their hands raised that is yielded to you with your Holy Spirit. Right now, that they are empowered with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. From when they wake up in the morning to when they go to sleep at night, even when they dream that the Holy Spirit, your resurrection power, would be with them. I pray that this room would see the dead raised in Jesus' name. Not in some foreign country, but right here on our soil. That they would put hands on their cousins and brothers and sisters and people that know them. And they would be healed in Jesus' name, not by their own might, not by their own power, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. I I pray that they begin to exercise the gift of faith that you've given them right now. They begin to pray for the lost and weep for the lost like you do, Holy Spirit. Fill them right now. Fill them right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Simple as that. Now, here's here's what I suggest. It's just a suggestion. Go and do it. Go and do it. Go and do it. Exercise your faith. The word exercise is there for a reason. Exercise your faith. Make it stronger. Work out in the spirit. Learn how to pray for longer periods of time. Learn the scripture. Meditate on scripture. Stop going by how you feel And start seeing what the scripture actually says. I feel like this about the job. What does the Bible say? Some of you are asking for a word from God and the Bible's sitting on your coffee table. Let it come alive to you. Now, it's not just dry pieces of paper. It is the living word of God. Let it come alive to you. Let it come alive to you, okay? The Holy Spirit is the key to the scripture. Not just reading it, not discipline. The Holy Spirit is what brings Jesus Christ alive in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. It's going to change for you. You're going to read it with the eyes of the Holy Spirit. I just declare that over you right now. A gift of knowledge of the word that produces repentance, that produces patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, and miracles, and signs and wonders in your life. In Jesus' name. Amen? All right, I'm done. Who do I give this to?